Megan, I have been using our sponsor Element, that's L-M-N-T, to boost my hydration for over a month now, and I'm really loving it. I'm just not very good at drinking plain water, and I love the taste when I pop one of these little packets, I like orange or grapefruit, into a big bottle of water. It's kind of fruity and salty, and it just helps me hydrate better overall. Element is a zero-sugar electrolyte drink mix born from the growing body of research that shows the best health outcomes occur with higher sodium levels. Each little pack delivers a significant dose of electrolytes, but minus sugar, artificial colors, and other iffy ingredients. Element's flavors are so unique, like fruity watermelon salt and spicy sweet mango chili. And we're going to set our listeners up with a variety pack so you can find your favorite. Right. You can receive a free Element sample pack containing eight flavors with any drink mix purchase when you purchase through our custom link, drinkelement.com slash momhour. That's D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T slash momhour. This offer is available exclusively through our partnership and is available for both new and returning customers. And if you're an Element Insider, you'll have first access to Element Sparkling, a bold can of sparkling electrolyte water. Again, it's drinklmnt.com slash momhour. Hi, I'm Sarah. And I'm Megan. We're two moms with eight kids between us, from little to grown. We're in different areas of the country and in different stages of life. But we both know that motherhood's a lot easier when real moms share tips and encouragement. And remind you that it's really all going to be okay. We're not experts. We're parents who've been there. We're not perfect. We're real. Welcome to the Mom Hour. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 215 of the Mom Hour. I am Megan Francis, here as always with Sarah Powers, and we love fun. No, we really don't. We don't. <laughs> the fun thing, the funny thing is, I actually do love fun, but you I do. like it on you, my own terms. You are a fun loving person, but what you do not love <laughs> is pushing kids on the swings. We should no. tell people what the heck we're talking about okay. if, if you're new here. Um, so, this speaks back to one of our very most early and popular episodes called We Hate Fun. I believe it's episode 10. Wow. From July back in the day (laughs) of 2015. So exactly four years ago. And then what I realized, Megan, is two years after that, we ran it as a rerun, which we don't really do anymore. We're like allergic to taking breaks from this podcast. But um, a couple of years ago in 2017, we reran it with a new intro because it is such a fan favorite. Um, And what it's about is the things that are supposedly quote unquote fun that we just don't like doing as moms and how we kind of learn to lose the guilt about that, right? Sometimes it takes you years to even realize you don't like it. Like it took me a while to realize I don't like parades. I just kept showing up for them and thinking, why am I miserable? Like this should be fun. This should be fun. And I, and I would trick myself. I'd be like, I'm going to go to a parade. That's going to be fun. And then I get there (laughs) and it was never fun. Or sometimes it's the thing where things that were really fun before you had kids, you keep trying, it's like square peg in a round hole. You keep trying to do that thing, concerts or movies in the park, or, you know, we're right in the middle of summer. So all these things that are capital F fun that just aren't fun with little kids. Yeah. Um, so listeners, if you missed that, or if you're new around here, it is a very funny discussion. Um, it got a lot of feedback. And I think, I think what people really connected with is the permission that we give you to not like 
all of the fun things about motherhood because there's plenty of fun that you probably do like, and your kids are feeding off of that. So you're not a terrible mother. We all hate fun in some ways. Um, But what we thought we'd do today is revisit some of the fun we said we hated. Um, And hate (laughs) is a strong word, but we really do. There are certain types of fun that we just really can't can't get behind. And so we're going to revisit some of those today and just see if anything's changed. I have a feeling that in a few categories, things have changed. Um, in particular, my kids were two, five and seven when we very first recorded that yeah. episode. And that's a, a totally different place than where I am now. But I have a feeling that other, other things have not changed. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. So this will be fun. Um, also, I have Katie joining me later in the episode, and we have book recommendations, which we do every couple of months, and we're going to be talking about good beach reads for moms, so fiction for moms and what we've been reading and what we're hoping to be reading this summer. So we've got a good midsummer episode for you guys nice. today. Sarah, we both know this time of year can be crazy. So this is a great time to get ahead with no prep, no mess meals from our sponsor, Factor. I love how these meals are ready to eat and delivered right to your door. I mean, you can't beat that convenience, but most importantly, they're seriously delicious. Yeah, Megan, I agree. Our whole family was impressed with the quality and flavor of Factor Meals we tried. And it turned out to be a great option for my teenagers when they got home late from a theater practice or came home from school super hungry. There's zero prepping, cooking, or cleaning up. Factor Meals just need to be heated for about two minutes and they're ready to go. Yeah, and for any listeners with wellness goals this month, Factor has six menu preferences to support your lifestyle. Whether you're trying to boost your protein, avoiding meat, or simply focusing on well-balanced meals. And you can pause or reschedule deliveries to fit your lifestyle. Make today the day you kickstart a new healthy routine. Head to factormeals.com slash momhour50 and use code momhour50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code MOMHOUR50 at factormeals.com slash MOMHOUR50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. Okay, Megan. Well, over here at the Mom Hour, we are big fans of our sponsor, Our Place. In fact, you, me, and our team member, Katie, were all comparing notes on our favorite product. Katie was telling us that even though she's packing up to move her family to a new house, she cannot put that mini perfect pot from our place into the boxes yet because she's using it like every night. Well, as someone who also has a perfect pot, I got mine as part of their mini home cook duo set. I get it. It's nonstick, which is key, but it also has all these handy features like a steam release lid with a built in strainer and this nice beechwood spoon that nests on the handle in this perfect little peg. Okay, well, I didn't get this pot, but now I want it. That sounds so great. Our Place's cookware is great to cook with, beautiful to look at, and healthier for us as well. All of Our Place's products are made without PFAS, also known as Forever Chemicals. In addition to their cookware and tableware, Our Place is also making waves with their Wonder Oven, the most stylish all-in-one air fryer and toaster oven. Again, free from the Forever Chemicals found in many of those air fryers. Listeners, Our Place offers a 100-day trial with free shipping and returns, and we've got a great deal for you. Go to fromourplace.com and enter the code MOMHOUR at checkout to receive 10% off site-wide. That's fromourplace.com, code MOMHOUR. Okay, so Sarah, the first thing that I noticed when I looked at your outline where you had written the header, fun we declared we hated... (laughs) (laughs) And then you bulleted all the things we said we hated. And I was like, man, we are buzzkills. We are. But they were all they were all true at the time. 
So I'm and, very curious. And many are still true. <laughs> yeah. And many are still true. So the very early episode was inspired by a blog post you'd written called For the Mom Who Hates the Swings. And you talked about not loving pushing your kids on swings. And I actually talked about that is not one of the things that's not going on my hate list. I mean, I'm not going to say it's, I don't seek out opportunities to push kids on the swings, but it's far down on the list of things that I don't like. I'd much rather push kids on the swings or than chase them up a play structure or do other things at the park. So huh. um, how do you feel at this moment in time about pushing kids on swing? Well, I want to say probably a year after we started the podcast, Clara figured out how to pump. Nice. And then I never had to push a swing again. I don't even remember the last time I went to the park with my kids. I mean, it's not that kind of thing anymore. Yeah. They go by yeah. themselves or they go with their siblings or with friends, which isn't to say we haven't, I guess, passed a playground together, but it's just not like a, it's like used to be we'd go for a walk and we'd end up at a playground. Um, yeah. We don't do that now when we go to the beach, even like they all just kind of avoid and ignore the playground. So yeah. um, what's interesting about that is the swings were always something I thought like in that idyllic idea of motherhood you have before you have kids, mm -hmm. pushing kids on the swing seems like something I would have loved to have done mm -hmm. because it was the kind of thing I loved to do for little kids when I was a teenager. Like if I would babysit, oh, let's go mm -hmm. play on the swings. I think it was the monotony and like the never endingness of it that got to me as a mom. Because and I think also what you talked about too, which is consistent with your personality is it can be kind of isolating if the other moms are gathered. Yeah. Um, if, if it's a social park play date situation and your kid wants to go on the swings, it will often pull you away from the group, which That's I true. feel like is, is definitely something for your personality. You like to be with the group and talking and engaging. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I, I definitely had a phase. I remember like the first time Jacob was big enough to put him in one of those little swings with, with the leg mm -hmm. thingies. Right. And how much I loved it for about 10 minutes. And then I, because he was little, I took him out and I, mm -hmm. we went someplace else, but as they get older, they get their own opinions about things. Yeah. And I would often find that I would, was just stuck, like stand, mm -hmm. like you said, like apart from the group, or I would see something that looked like more fun to me. Like let's go yeah. play in the sandbox or, and then the kid in question and not all kids cared that much, but I, I kind of feel like Clara was one of those who just wanted to hang on the swings and like, yeah. wouldn't even try to learn how to pump. And she would have had me stand there all day pushing her. And then at one point I would have multiple kids all <laughs> yes, needing to be pushed. That's where I am. Yeah. Even and my big kids still ask to be pushed. I, uh, I did not enjoy that for a while. I feel like now if I happened to be at a park and there happened to be a kid there that was on the swing, I think I'd be pretty cheerful about pushing the swings. So I think we file this one under types of fun you hate that it just life outgrows it. So you don't right. have to do it anymore. I think other right. types of fun we will grow into loving again. In this case, you just don't have to do it anymore. So consider that one solved. Done. Check mark. Check. Okay. I have a big one. This is something that I still hate and I'm still in it. And we, we spent a lot of time talking about it in that original episode. And that is make believe pretend play with your child in particular, when you are the only, when you are the sole make believe playmate and the child has a very specific idea of what to pretend. Um, mm -hmm. this has been, I mean, I have been a mother of people of make believe age for you know, I'm going to say eight and a half years, probably since Allegra first, you know, wanted to make believe she used to make believe swim lessons and doctor's office. She would always make believe the things she was a little bit nervous about in real life. Like she'd come home from these swim lessons and then want to make me pretend to be in swim lessons. Okay. So this is so funny I, to me that again, the pretend play is a thing of the past. It was awful. It is with, yeah, it with it, and to different degrees with different kids. Um, with the boys, I just remember 
their play never made any sense to me. Their pretend play was just extremely like, like it was all about like lining up cars or dudes, little dudes and like crashing them and things. And they never wanted anything to do with my version of pretend play. But Clara's was so much more complex Mm -hmm. and like everything had to get kind of pretended out. Like, like you were saying, um, pretended through a lot of let's play pet shop. Yep you're going shopping at the pet shop. I'm all these different pets. And it just was never ending. Like she really wanted, whereas the boys, I never felt really cared that much. If I engaged in their play, like I was trying to force myself into it. Um, Clara sought me out like yes. hard. That's how, Vi- and, that's how Violet yeah. is. And, yeah. um, you would think it would be getting somehow easier. Like I was thinking about a few years ago, I didn't have time to pretend cause I had a toddler and a baby. And now I have, I, I could totally get down and get into a make believe. Yeah. We do a lot of animal related, like pretend you're on a hike and I'm a wolf and you've discovered me and I don't have a mother. And then like, and with Violet, it's all about the setting up. Like we take 45 yep. minutes to set up this like Fort camp animal shelter situation. And then we never actually pretend but it's always on the horizon that we're about to, and I still hate it. I'm just going to come right out and say it. (laughs) My husband's a great pretender. My kids have great imaginations. I will read books and talk about stuff and do all kinds of things to support imagination. I just don't want to be in your pretend play. And I'm sorry. I I was actually going to ask if the kids seek out Brian as much as they seek you out, like, because that would be frustrating, like having your partner be really good at it, but uh-huh. then like default to asking you. Well, cause <laughs> I'm home during the day. And so right. Violet will, the, the older two don't want to pretend anymore, but they did at, at, a, at the time it's Violet seems like the highest need in this regard. And she will, Brian will indulge her and they will just go to town, pretend to go to town. And I love it. I love that he can do that with them. And I stand by my hatred of that brand of fun. So it turns out we don't love fun. We don't. Okay. So here's another (laughs) big category that came up um, in that old episode. And I'm going to just put it as fairs, carnivals, uh, theme parks, festivals, like places that you go that are supposed to be fun, even ones that are supposed to be geared toward little kids. How has your thinking evolved on this? Okay. So first of all, I put all those four things in very different categories. Now I don't remember. I maybe used to have them all lumped together in my mind because they were all loud places with lots of people, long lines, long lines, stuff like that. Um, so I'll break it down by, you know, by event. Okay. Uh, theme parks. I'm a okay with, I like theme parks, especially because my kids are big now. Yeah. So I can sit on a bench and I also like rides. Mm -hmm. Um, so, and I think theme parks, we did Disney a few times when the kids were really little and always had a lot of fun. Uh, we did water parks, which are different from theme parks, but very fun. Yeah. We've talked about the Great Wolf Lodge thing and stuff. So those have always been A-OK by me. There's been very few times that I've thought to myself that theme or water parks or those kind of things were just like out. For some reason, I think when the kids were really little, John and I were really good at dividing and conquering and making sure everyone got to do something fun. It kept everybody moving. Yeah. I liked it. I'm similar about fairs. I can still do them in small doses. A fair is like a theme park with dirtier people. <laughs> and I, 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 everyone's dirty at the yeah. fair. It's not like, I don't mean like dirty people, their patrons. I mean, everyone's walking around covered in dust and it's smelling hot. animal yeah. and it's hot, but I do like them. There's something about a County fair that I really enjoy. Um, just in small doses, like we'll go and like, you know, we'll wander through like the RV 
display yeah. thing. I always like doing that. We'll go maybe ride one or two rides, get a hot dog or an elephant ear, and then we're done. And we have one just down the street. That's like a nice small uh, youth fair. That's every summer. Okay. I can usually, I usually make a point to take the kids to that um, almost every year and it's okay. So I have to jump in here on fairs yeah. really quick because growing up, I had the Santa Barbara County fair and that is a, a I would say a mid-sized County fair. It's definitely not small, but it's not huge. And then I never, ever went to County fairs in my years of living outside of California. Like when I lived in Chicago Arizona never ever went to a county fair. And now the Orange County Fair is a huge deal. It's like, it is huge. It goes on for weeks and it's, I think it can be really fun and there's all kinds of expos and things, but it's like kind of what you're talking about of like the quaint, accessible, very doable county fair. I don't, I don't, there isn't you one near that. me because my county yeah. is, it's one of like the biggest counties in the country. Right. Um, so it is a spectacle in and of itself, but I have not been, and I really don't want to go. Well, the, you know, I went to the Minnesota state fair a couple of times, um, when I lived in Minneapolis and I felt similarly about the Minnesota state fair. It's amazing, mm-hmm. but it's, it is like people live there. Like my brother and his family <laughs> camp there for a week and they live at the fair. Like something about that to me is just overkill. I don't yeah. need that much fair in my I would life. I love a little fair, actually. I think like well, a little, a small county fair would be really, I'm picturing Charlotte's Web. Yes, it's very Charlotte's Webby. Good to go in the Tilt-A-Whirl. Yeah. If, if that's your thing, you know. And, and I do think the one I grew up with was maybe a little bigger, but not so, so big. It was, there yeah. was horse grounds and I mean, horse stuff and, um, but it was very doable. We used to get dropped off, you know, when we yeah. were in junior high and spend the yeah. evening or whatever. Yeah. And I feel like this one is that way. Like you could, the one here, you could like you park and you get, they, they drive these little cart trailer things around and pick people up. And you're at the gate or you can walk, but you're at the gate in five minutes. It doesn't take forever to get in. And then you can really do the whole midway, like in an hour or two, you can, there's three commercial barns. Like I remember, because I've been going to this fair for 30 plus years, like there are precisely three commercial barns Mm -hmm. and you can make it through those or buildings. I mean, you can hit the small animals. Like you, you can really just knock the whole thing out pretty quick. Or sometimes I'll say, the kids like we're going to go and we're only going to do the animal barns. We're not doing anything else. Or we're only going to do the midway. Right. You can also go back. It's like a week long and it's right down the road for me. So yeah. So I'm okay with fairs. Okay. Um, carnivals. No, those things have always scared me. Yeah. I remember when I was a kid, my mom pointing out the fact that they put all of the rides up in like mm-hmm. a few hours one mm-hmm. night and they were like, she's like, doesn't that seem kind of unsafe to you? Mm-hmm. And ever since then, I'm like, never mind. No, thanks. I don't know. Yeah. How do you feel about carnivals? They're like kind of like fairs, but without the cute animals. Yes. I I mean, that's the closest thing. There's one that we've gone to a couple summers in a row in Santa Barbara. The rides that my kids have gone on have been not scary, like not the upside down crazy ones, but yeah, I, I, and like the cheap, um, carnival games and stuff. It just feels like if we could get in and out in an hour and get some good food and, um, just like have some wholesome fun. Great. But it's not something I'm going to seek out. I, I do think that like school and church carnivals can be kind of a fun little answer to that. Like mm-hmm. you get to play the game where you like throw the, yes, mm-hmm. you know, but totally. nobody, I don't think people do this anymore. 
It's been a uh, long time since I've been invited to a carnival of that nature. We have had our local elementary school, not the one my kids go to, but our neighborhood school has one around Halloween that I would consider like a, a full-fledged school carnival. And it's cute. You know what I'm realizing as we talk about this, and it's appropriate since it is July, is basically heat makes all the difference to me in whether I can tolerate yeah. these types of fun. Um, you know it's, that's a deal breaker. If it is cool yeah. enough and, and everybody's dressed for the weather and I'm not standing on asphalt in the sun and the heat, I'm sure I'm not alone here. The, le- the fun meter is, goes up or down wildly according to how hot it is. For well, me. you have mentioned very recently that you don't like to be uncomfortable and temperature swings Yeah, it's a big or one. being untemperaturally uncomfortable makes you especially hot. Grumpy. I'd rather be cold. Yeah. Yeah. Um, should we talk about parades? Uh, sure. It is. After they're, all, all, they're still terrible. It is the 4th of July week. <laughs> and I think in that original episode, parades were like probably the least fun thing ever. And I, that has not changed for me. There, to me, there is nothing fun and there will never be anything fun. And I'm saying this while hitting my fist on a table. There will never be anything fun to me about lining up in advance, sitting on the curb on a chair or on the curb on a blanket or whatever and then watching like really loud things happen and having candy pelted at you yes agreed i'm just gonna it's all terrible yeah and taking kids to a parade where they have to wait and they're not really sure why they're there um we're gonna play just a little bit we're (laughs) we're gonna play a little clip of violet talking about some of this um and she had some thoughts about parades i was surprised because i thought she'd say oh parades are so much fun and she (laughs) basically said something like i don't understand why we go all the work of going there and then it's not really a lot of work (laughs) it's a lot of work <laughs> and then it's not really what you want to see. I think that's what she said. And I think that kids like the idea that candy might get thrown at them. Right. That I really think that a lot of them are in it for the candy. Um, and now I don't even know if all parades do that anymore. Right. Sometimes they throw other things. But like, oh my gosh, I remember being a little kid and like the the sirens and just hating life, like with my hands clasped over my mm. ears thinking, why is this a thing? So I went to a parade last summer in my hometown, not of Santa Barbara, but my smaller hometown of Montecito, where I actually grew up because we had that, remember, we had a terrible mudslide accident in my hometown and it, like those things do, it brought the community together and we ended up at the 4th of July parade last year. And one thing I kind of forgot about small town parades, this one was meaningful because the first responders, it was like a big thing for the community. Um, And so that was kind of emotional. Um, But being in parades is really exciting when you're a kid. And it occurred to me that like, it's way more fun. Almost anybody can be in a parade if you're in a small town, like if you're in a Boy Scout troop, if you're in a elementary school choir. And so that part, I was like, oh, that is really special. If you're 10 or 11 and your Girl Scout troop gets to march Mm -hmm. in the town parade, that is fun. And I guess if my kid were in a parade like that, that would feel kind of fun. It's the spectating for if you don't know someone or have any like real connection that feels like, why, why are we doing this? Why are we sitting on the street? And I do like the marching bands. Yeah. Sometimes I would hold, like, sometimes I would go to a small town parade just for the marching bands. And, and let me also be clear, like, just so, like what you just said, I like the spirit behind it. I mm-hmm. like what it's supposed to do. Like it's supposed to bring the community together and you get to support the pageant Queens and the, you know, the cheerleaders and the, whoever else, you know, the, the sports teams and the local politicians on their cars waving at you and all this stuff. And it is one of those things to kind of go out and see people, right. like see who your community kind of in front of you and recognize people. I just find it 
extremely boring. Well, and, and, yeah. And, and along with all and of hot. this, we're talking about bringing our children to these types right. of fun. And that is, I think where there's, I mean, you're in the street, there's nowhere right. to go and they don't know what they're waiting for. And there's all this anticipation of like, Oh, it's going to get better. <laughs> like like the, <laughs> next, does. the next float has horses and it's just like, right. it, it moves, they move so slow too. Right. Like, yes, just, they do. They okay. move so slow. All right. So we are still team why, why with the parades. Why on parades. Um, um, I didn't talk about festivals. Okay. Oh, okay. Sorry. You That's have- okay. Cause I need to definitely make sure that I circle back to that because okay. to me, even though we lumped fairs, carnivals, festivals, and theme parks together, I need to talk a little bit about festival culture okay. in Michigan. Okay. Um, we live in a place where there's tons of breweries and wineries. And so I'm not even joking. <laughs> and also we are, our, our summer, um, time is short, right? We don't have a lot of good weather, right? So I'm not joking every weekend from about May 15th through I'd say October. Okay. There is some kind of beer, food, wine, and, or a music festival going on someplace. So first of all, it blocks up all the parking downtown. It's Mm. a super pain. But the other thing, when my kids are really little, a lot of times these are like your, this is your opportunity to get out and do adult stuff when your kids are little. Cause these things are almost always family friendly. Okay. Yep. And when I say family friendly, I mean, you can bring your kids, but friendly is one of those words that I feel is a misnomer in this situation because it's not really fun. Like you take your kid and they're kind of like miserable and they're running around on the pavement and you just want to get your beer and like, there's a band, but it's way far away. And if you go over to the band area, then you're not near the beer. And then your kid might want to like dance, but they might hate the music and run away. So I forced myself to go (laughs) to all these things with my kids when they were little, because that was what parents did. Like everybody would show up with their kids and come in and like, you tried to make like an adult day of fun out of the reality of being at a public event with children. Right. I think it wasn't until my kids got old enough that I didn't start taking them that I realized I don't have to go to these things and I never liked them to begin with. Yeah. And it's only marginally better without kids because you still have to stand in line. Like you pay to get in and then you get tickets and everything's priced way more than it would be if you just went to a brewery. Yeah. Then you have to use your tickets to get the beer oh, and you yes. have to stand in line. Yeah. And then if you want food, like the food, you don't use tickets for the food. You have to use cash. Oh, for the that's food. the worst. And that's in a totally different section. By the time you collect everything, you have to go like find a picnic bench and those are all taken. So maybe you lugged in like a camp chair on your back. Right. Why would you do that? That's awful. And then if you do that, <laughs> you're like stuck over by the concert area, which is nowhere near the rest. I just, I find them terrible and okay. I don't want to do them anymore. All right. So I uncharacteristically, I'm going to offer a differing viewpoint on this. Um, because I think the type of festivals that we have out here are a little bit different and our season is not so limited to summer. Um, so I have been to a couple different festivals with the kids recently. One is an art, actually they're both art related. So one is a, a chalk painting festival in Santa Barbara that they have every year. It can be hot again, if it's hot, then my views change, but the weather was nice. And it was, it was all the things you described, but it was okay. It felt they had a kid's area where kids could chalk paint. They had good food. Um, it was a little bit crowded, but doable. And then also down here by us, we have the Sawdust Art Festival, which if you are anywhere in Orange County, San Diego County, it is, it's my favorite festival I've ever been to. It's tucked off the road. And so it's not, it doesn't feel like you're in a parking lot. You know how some festivals it's like, you just feel like you're 
baking under the sun in this big flat, yes. like, so yes. this is kind of tucked into the hill. And so it feels like cozy and super artsy. And it's like an old hippie commune of artists that they, that they open up every summer for a few weeks. And then at Christmas time, and the kids actually really like going, they can see, um, I think one problem for kids when they're little at all those things that have tents and booths is kids can't, they're short. They can't see what there is to do or it's not geared toward them. Um, art festivals and arts festivals, I think, can be fun with kids if there's a lot to look at. And if you're not worried about like, yeah, someone getting lost, someone, all the things right. you mentioned are, are real considerations. But I just have to say, I have enjoyed a couple of festivals the last couple of years with my kids. Having said that, I wouldn't have a few years ago. Right. So like this is one where yeah. we've grown into it. And it sounds like where you are, you never really grew into it because they're not fun. Right. And, and I will say too, that I will make an exception. Like we have an ice carving festival. I think we also have like something called shock the block, which is like a chalk. And uh -huh. those are fun. I think what's nice about those is you can pop in and pop out like the beer, wine and food festivals. You're literally corralled in by a plastic fence. Yeah. Ooh. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you, you paid to get in now. Yeah. You know you're like in this. Oh yeah. We did. We went to a food Yeah, You festival. don't go nowhere now. So like, I think that's yeah. a little bit different than the kind where you kind of come into town and you see people working on things and you kind of wander around and like, you can pop into a store if you want or whatever. Well, yeah. So, okay. The Santa Barbara one is a little more like that. You're just in and out, but the, the sawdust one you're in, you're corralled in there, yeah. but it's, it's a good one. Next time you're out here, I'll take you. Oh, that'd be fun. Um, okay. Well, we have just a little bit more time, but I wanted to come back into the home with our small children and ask you if any of your opinions about crafting with children have changed since we last discussed this. I so don't even I, remember, but I think we just said we hated glitter. So I'm trying to remember exactly what, what my position was. I think it was something like crafting is the worst, <laughs> but we, we can go with that. But I think what I really meant by that was what I've never liked. And what I find particularly torturous or found particularly torturous were like those crafts that weren't at all open-ended and it felt like, like you go to library story time, they'd be like, well, now we have a fun craft for the kids. And there's precisely 22 puff yes. balls on the table, you know, two for each child. And there's yes. precisely like 22 googly eyes and like, and so everything is super prescribed. And then all you get to do is pick stuff up off the floor yeah. <laughs> and like sweep up little cuttings of paper. And it always to me just felt like so not creative and yet messy. So yeah. not fun, but still all of all of the work that goes yes. with fun, but without the fun. So, and um, I will add, I'm going to pile onto that. Something else that is terrible is if you have kids who get easily frustrated or who have a perfectionist streak or who want things done a certain way, even the most open-ended and creative of craft times basically turn into you being a therapist for your child who can't yeah. do the thing they want to do and make it look the way they want it to look, but also they don't want help. Does it sound like maybe right. I have some experience with this? Yeah, it does sound <laughs> that way. Um, I think that the glitter thing. So here's the other thing. Did your kids get into slime? Yeah. So we talked about that, right? I don't know how much we've talked about it on the show. Okay. Because I couldn't remember if it was you or Jenna. I talked to because Jenna's daughter, Ruby got really into making slime and her, her like house has been destroyed by slime for the past. I don't know why Clara didn't get into it that much. She gets into it when she's with other kids at that's, their houses. That's more how Allegra was. She, she yeah. never, she got the stuff to make it, but never really had the follow through to do it, but she would kind of hoard it and collect it. And it would sit yeah. around in these little Ziploc bags and yeah, it ruined her bed, her comforter. So it must've been Jenna you were talking to, but I can relate. 
So cracks in the floor, slime, Ugh. just like slime everywhere. And I think she finally kind of had to start putting her foot down a little bit because the kitchen would like the girls would have a sleepover and then Jenna would come down in the morning and the kitchen is just like <laughs> like they got up early and slimed it. Um, so I what I appreciate about Clara is that I think she took a hard left away from craft and got into art. Yeah, and she art really is did. less messy. Yes, it's because what she's doing is contained. It's pencils, it's chalk draw. You know, it's like pen and ink, or or uh, even when she paints, she's very neat. Uh huh. So sometime in the last couple of years, like craft mess became a non thing in my life. And I think probably like, yeah. Just to jump in on, I think probably the thing that we quote unquote hated. <laughs> was this idea that crafting with small children is supposed to be fun and meaningful. Like that's the, the part that we hate is not doing art or making art or having creative kids. I would say that's more of like a challenge or sometimes an annoyance. The part that's really awful is this, this, uh, picture were sold that sitting around a table using puffballs and glitter and glue and Play-Doh is fun. <laughs> that and. <laughs> And, and also, and also like necessary. Yeah. Um, I remember when my kids were like three or four, clearly getting the message that part of my job as a mom was to like lead them in craft time. Right. And that I, and that it had to, I understand why it's important for them to learn to hold a pencil and use scissors and stuff like that, but like that it had to involve kind of like expensive trips to the craft store and like supplies. And we had to have places to store the supplies and, and something there had to, to show be for materials. it at the end. Yeah. Yeah. And that part just never really, I couldn't, I had a hard time getting on board, even though in theory, the idea of doing a creative project is fun to me in the end with the two, three, four, five year old, it just never worked out the way it's, it was presented. Yeah. And I think, I think we've talked about this on the show too, but if for moms who love to craft, like who are crafty themselves, I think it can be extra disappointing to realize, like, I thought this was going to be something I would enjoy with my kids, but in fact, it's terrible. So if you're in that position, I mean, I think you can reclaim crafting as just a mom hobby. It does not have to be something that you enjoy doing with your kids. And you can feel very differently about crafting with your kids than you do about crafting by yourself or with your friends. Yeah. Agreed. So there we go. Um, okay. Well, I have one more that I still hate and I'll throw it out there. And if you have anything else to add, go for it. But basically anything that happens late at night, <laughs> it doesn't matter how fun it is. I will probably say no. And just, I just still don't like fun that happens after hours. I really don't. And that yeah. has not changed in case anyone is out there wondering. I do sleep all night now. I mean, I sleep really well. So I, I have the ability to stay up later without getting so tired. I just, I don't like it. I don't like fun. I prefer my fun in the daylight hours. That's funny. I will actually say that, well, it's not surprising that we'd be very opposite on that. Um, one, one of like my favorite things to do, I have a friend whose backyard, she has like a little pool and like a really nice Missy has a mm -hmm. nice little backyard. And every now and then, and her kids have pretty regular bedtimes, but every now and then she'll kind of like, like, like put a, I don't know, pause on bedtime mm -hmm. and let kids come over and just run amok in the backyard till well after dark while mm -hmm. the adults sit and have drinks or whatever. And Clara just looked like, she's like, that's just the most fun thing that ever happens. I think it's so fun for her because we don't plan it. Uh -huh. It'll just be kind of this like last minute thing where we all go over there and end up and it's dark and there's something very special to the kids about running around after dark, especially yes. in the summer in the when summer. a lot of time you go to bed and it's still light out. Right. Yeah. So, um, they love that. And that said, 
it would take something very special to get me out of bed early to have fun. Right. You're not going to have early morning fun. My kids have not witnessed a lot of sunrises. Let's just put it that way. (laughs) That's okay. I think they could be very well-rounded children without ever having seen a sunrise. Eventually they'll just stay up late enough at night to see see it themselves. That's that's a milestone. Um, Okay. So we are going to play a little clip of Violet, who's six, weighing in on what she thinks about fun and what mom, what she thinks about what we think as moms about fun. Um, and then we'll go to our break. And when we come back, Katie and I are going to talk about books. So Megan, we're signing off for this part and happy 4th of July. You guys have a great holiday week. We'll talk to you soon. Okay. I'm here with Violet. Violet, how old are you? Six. And we're talking about fun today and sometimes how moms don't always love fun. So what are some types of fun that you think I do like? Um, maybe not the biggest kinds of fun just to be fun. Maybe sometimes go to the beach or go to the park or the pool. But I don't think my mom really enjoys when we just do a big party for nothing. Can you think of any types of fun that I really don't like? One example that we talked about in this show was parades. Yeah, I don't really care for parades. It's just too much work, too much noise. Like, everyone puts stuff into it, but then it's not the best thing you want to see. What about things like a fair with rides, like a carnival? Have we had fun at those types of things before? Uh, yeah. Maybe when everybody's a little older than toddlers and newborns because that would be hard to just like that would be fun to like get an ice cream maybe go on the ferris wheel but not too much like sugar and roller coasters that wouldn't be fun for two toddlers and a newborn yeah that's exactly what megan and i were talking about is now that you guys are older there's some kinds of fun i used to really not like and now it's getting more fun because you guys are older right uh, yeah, I, I think so, too. But sometimes when you get a little older than Allegra, some things that I might like as a six-year-old might not be as fun as doing something that she likes. Or she might grow out of some of the fun that you like right now, right? Yeah, so I'm kind of having a tough time having two older brother and sisters, so I don't have a lot to do every day. Mm. What is your very favorite kind of fun? Um, Maybe just kind of goofing around. <laughs> I like to goof around with you. Thanks for being on the Mom Hour, Violet. You're welcome. Okay, Megan, like many of our listeners, I'm sure I've been doing some spring cleaning in my closet lately, and it always feels so good to get rid of clothes I'm not wearing, things that don't fit or that aren't my style anymore. But you know what I realized? All of my Vionic shoes are always in the keep pile. They just tick all the boxes. They're cute, comfy, high quality. They last forever. And I love growing my Vionic collection, especially with the latest styles from their Vionic Vitals collection. The Vionic Vitals collection offers daily wear styles designed for elegance, comfort, and versatility. We both love the Uptown Loafer, which collapses flat, so it's perfect for travel. The Chardonnay Heeled Sandal, which I know you love, Sarah. The Walk 23 Classic Sneaker, which our team member Katie gets compliments on all the time. And the Willa Slip-On Flat, one of my favorites, which comes in 12 colors for any outfit. Yeah, I need to uh, get the Willa Slip-On Flat. That's next on my list. 
Well, listeners, if you're ready to try the shoes we're always raving about, use code THEMOMHOUR15 at checkout for 15% off your entire order at bionicshoes.com when you log into your account. That's one-time use only. Bionic Shoes, wearable well-being for your feet. Sarah, our sponsor, Haya Health, makes a kid's daily multivitamin that parents can feel great about giving their kids because they have no added sugars or dyes. And our kids who have tried Haya Vitamins have loved them, which is important, right? Because what good is a bottle of vitamins that your kid won't take? Haya was founded by two dads who didn't like the ingredients label on some of the popular children's vitamins they were seeing on store shelves. So they got to work developing a formula that would help fill the most common nutrient gaps in modern kids' diets. Haya's Chewable Kids Vitamin is made with a blend of 12 organic fruits and vegetables and then supercharged with 15 essential vitamins and minerals. They're also vegan, dairy-free, allergy-free, gelatin-free, and nut-free. Haya manufactures their vitamins right here in the USA with globally sourced ingredients, and then they ship their chewable vitamins directly to your door on a pediatrician-recommended schedule. We've worked out a special deal with Haya for their best-selling children's vitamin. You're going to get 50% off your first order. To claim this deal, go to HayaHealth.com slash MomHour. This deal is not available on their regular website. Go to H-I-Y-A-H-E-A-L-T-H dot com slash MomHour and get your kids the full body nourishment they need to grow into healthy adults. Okay, everybody. I am sitting down here with Katie Addis. Hey, Katie. Hi, Sarah. So if you're new around here, Katie joins me um, every once in a while. And we've been talking about books this year. Um, Kind of a different theme every time. And since we are smack dab in the middle of summer, it's actually a holiday week. We're loosely talking about beach reads today, right? Yeah. But we're also going to kind of catch up about what we've been reading um, and have some good beach read recommendations. And we also want to hear back from you guys. So where should we start, Katie? You want to start with what you've been reading? Sure. I feel pretty good about this. Okay. Okay. Well, you guys know my New Year's resolution was to read more fiction. So that has not gone so well. I have been on a big nonfiction kick again, but I do have some, I'll just quickly list off what I've read. I think since we last talked. Okay. Um, so I think when we last talked, I was either reading or about to read bad blood by John Carreyrou, which is the Elizabeth Holmes and Theranos story. Yes. And since you mentioned it on the episode last time, I have heard about it from so many different sources. And did you tell me, or did I hear from somewhere else that there's a podcast on it? So yes. So I'm a documentary on HBO. Exactly. So there is a HBO documentary. There is a podcast, which was put out by ABC news. Um, and one, not wondery, but yeah, a podcast. And then the book is called bad blood. It's by John Carreyrou. The book is sort of like the mothership. Like that's the kind of source material, at least for the podcast. Um, if you were going to pick one, uh, we'll just do them all. Just go down the rabbit hole. It's so good. Okay. Do them all. Yeah. Um, and the audio book is good too. I, I read it as a physical book. So that was great. I read Mindy Kaling's second memoir essay book called Why Not Me? That was fun and light. That would make a cute, fun beach read. Okay. Um, I read another book of essays called I Miss You When I Blink by Mary Laura Philpot, who um, runs in blogger writer circles with like Jess and KJ who have the hashtag am writing podcast. I think that's where I heard about her Okay. Book. I read. Wait, Ma- repeat that title. When it's I called, miss you, I miss you when I blink. Oh, I miss you when I blink. Yeah. Okay. Um, I read Made by uh, Made M A I D by Stephanie Land. Yep, which I liked. Um, 
I read The Enchanted Hour, which you recommended I in our segment. That. You were in yeah. Santa Barbara or something. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe when I finished it. On a cozy, gloomy day. Yes. Yes. Um, I loved that book. That was a great recommendation. So listeners, um, now is a good time to say we will list all of these in the show notes and in the blog post that goes along with this. Um, but Katie did introduce me to The Enchanted Hour, which is about the importance of reading aloud to our kids, but not just, not in a preachy way, like no, really not like, at all. Um, kind of culturally and the brain science and everything about reading aloud was so good. And then I just finished the library book by Susan Orlean, which is probably the best book I've read this year. It's so good. Um, are it's you familiar with it? It's called The Library Book. Mm-hmm. It's called The Library Book. Okay, it's nonfiction. It is nonfiction. I'm not familiar with it, no. Okay, just so real briefly, it is... The story of the Los Angeles, the central branch of the L.A. Public Library. Okay. Um, how, how, how the public library system in L.A. kind of got started, but then there was a catastrophic fire in 1986 that took down like a million books, um, and there was an arson investigation. So it's the true story of this fire in 1986 at the central branch of the L.A. Public Library. But like any good... Like this woman took like five years to write this book. Um, so it's a deep dive into the history of libraries, the cultural significance of libraries, how libraries and public insti- well, how libraries have changed over time in what their role is in society. Um, it's also has a ton about the history of kind of the, the settling of the West and how LA grew into a city. And then of course there's this kind of like almost true crime-like element as mm. Um, you try and figure out how this fire happened and then the rebuilding after the fire. And so it is really like you end up learning about all kinds of different things, but yeah. it's really like a love letter to public libraries. And oh. it is so well done. She's an amazing writer. So she's like a super, super famous nonfiction writer. She's been on staff at the New Yorker forever, but I hadn't read any of her books. She's a beautiful, beautiful writer. So, okay. um, I mean, it's nonfiction. It's, it's dense in that, you know, it's history and facts and all that. I'm not sure I'd qualify it as a beach read. At the same time, it's like so compelling and so satisfying. So, all right. So that was like, I think I've read like six books since we last talked. I know. Wow. Look at you. Prolific, avid yeah. reader. Yeah. Just, okay. Well, I am in an opposite season okay. of time. And my time has been filled up with some audiobook listening. Oh, good. And which is kind of cut into my podcast listening, actually. So it's kind of a trade-off. I'm in that season of trade-offs. Well, if I don't do this, then, or if I do this, then I don't get to do all these other things. So I listened to Becoming, Michelle Obama's Mm -hmm. memoir. Have you read that? I read it. Mm -hmm. Oh, you did? Okay, good. So we can compare notes a little bit. Was it a long time ago that you read it? it It was right when it came out. It was at the very beginning of 2019. It was the first book I read this year. I loved it, but I've heard the audiobook is even... It's it's fantastic. It's really, really good. And it was 20 hours worth of listening. So, I mean, it's, it's a long, it's a long book. And I don't know that it would necessarily classify as a beach read also, but I feel like in our next little topic here, we should talk about what actually constitutes a beach read in your definition. Um, but it was compelling the whole way through. I mean, it was, it was very interesting. I just kind of wanted to touch on the things that I loved about it. So I really knew very little about Michelle Obama in general. Mm-hmm. And I was interested to learn all about her upbringing, which was a pretty rosy, I mean, not, not full of sunshines and ra- sunshine and rainbows, but it, I mean, she said that people looked at her compared to 
Obama's or Barack's mm-hmm. upbringing, and she kind of had the leave it to Beaver. She did. Sort she of had a stable, like mid-century, um, yeah, upbringing. Like, yeah. Exactly, and she's definitely a Type A powerhouse. She did not self-profess or she did not self-proclaim herself a in Enneagram One, but I bet she would be. So. Probably, yeah. yeah. Um, and then so that was all interesting, and I didn't know about her. Ivy League education. Mm -hmm. And she went to, I think, Princeton Mm -hmm. undergrad, Mm -hmm. Harvard Law School. Mm -hmm. And then her love story with with Barack was so fun to learn about too. And little, uh, little spoiler alert, uh, he was actually her associate. So junior to her for quite a while for, well, I guess for a summer and then things kind of changed. And I they, loved, I loved how she talked about motherhood and parenting actually oh, totally. in the book, both yes. as, both as it related to her mom raising them. And then of course, becoming a mom and then being a mom of like kids, like our kids age during campaigns. Yes. Like she was real honest about having a campaigning, traveling husband. I know <laughs> it was not easy. It was not easy. And she really even struggled accepting Barack's commitment to politics at all. I mean, she really wanted politics yeah. to come. I thought to it a was halt. really honest. So honest. Yeah, that's what I really loved about it was that it was a very human, relatable portrait yep. because she really does openly and transparently talk about the ups and downs. And that's what I was going to mention too was just her personal values, not only as as uh, a woman, but also specifically as a mom, and then how the how that transitioned into her role as first lady and just being an advocate and mentor for Mm -hmm. people who couldn't advocate for themselves, much like people had advocated and mentored her Mm -hmm. along the way. And that really showed through the initiatives that she led during her two terms as, as first lady. And I didn't really know about any of that stuff. So, uh, and then also her values as a friend. Mm-hmm. Did that kind of stand yeah. out to you? Yes, too? I do remember. Yes, I yeah. do remember. And I, I wrote down one quote that I actually texted to two of my friends the, the night that I heard it. I'm like, oh, this, this quote makes me think of you guys. So she had written, friendships between women, as any woman will tell you, are built of a thousand small kindnesses swapped back and forth. And over again. I love that. And it was in the context of her talking about the struggles as the first lady and campaigning mm-hmm. and how her friends had had often come to the rescue and yeah. picked up the slack yeah. where she or Barack yeah. weren't able to yeah. be there for the girls in the yeah. way that they would have liked to yeah. often. And I love, she had like a group of like new mom friends in Chicago, just like any other, you know, she, the timing of when their fame exploded is really interesting because, you know, she had anonymity, what, until like, maybe her kids were like three and five. And then in Illinois, they started to be more well-known. So like she became a mom, not in the spotlight, but then within five years was mega spotlight. So she kind of had like the quote unquote normal transition to Mm -hmm. motherhood, working motherhood, daycare, childcare, like the whole thing. And then it's like, you know, extreme right turn into like this other experience that obviously we can't relate to. I also thought if you ever want like behind the scenes on the white house, just living, not politically, but like just what it's like to be a family there and live there. I wasn't expecting that the book would do that much of that. Cause it's almost feels a little like 
um, like sensational yes. like behind the scenes, but I loved that part. I was like, Me this too. is fascinating. Me yeah. too. That was my last thing that I loved was the little anecdotes that she would share about like nesting yeah. in the White House and how actually the first family, they're responsible for funding all of their decor okay. and yes. all of those things and yeah. everything. And, and then her little, um, desire to kind of break some of the white house rules yeah. and, and security detail protocol. Yeah. And her one time she, she sneaked off to target. Yes. She had security detail, but they all went incognito. Yes, like the minimal. And yeah, exactly. And, and that particular trip, she was able to buy an anniversary card for Barack. Oh. And so, I mean, just these little yeah, stories that are yeah. so relatable, but yet within extraordinary yeah. circumstances. I also think, um, I know we're going long on this, but it's a great book. I also think it's really interesting to read recent history of, of any kind. Like, you know, it's one thing to read about something that happened super long ago, but when you're reading an angle on a piece of recent history where like you remember all this stuff happening, but maybe it was 10 or 15 years ago and we, you know, like we are different now. So I always think that's an interesting yeah. experience. And, and patriotically it was uplifting. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah. It's a good book. Good one. All right. So what's up next? How, okay. So let's talk about what do you think in your opinion constitutes a treat for you? Yeah. So for me, it has to be something that I can read in small chunks. Okay. So you guys know, like my regular reading habit, it tends to be, I wake up before the kids in the morning and, um, read for about 45 minutes probably. And that's, it's very quiet. It's uninterrupted. And by the way, that didn't happen for me for like nine, 10 years into motherhood. So if you're not there yet, which I'm not <laughs> right, but now it's a part of my routine. That's the bulk of my reading. I really don't read before I go to sleep at night and I don't use, I might, I might pick up a book on a weekend if everyone's kind of doing their own thing, but really that's my daily it's, it's built into my day. So a beach read would feel very different because I'm out of my, it's not in my routine. And I think it needs to be something that I can get interrupted a bunch of different little times and can mm -hmm. read in short snippets and hold my attention. Um, okay. it's also going to be a physical book and not an electronic book, most likely. I mostly read physical books anyway, but I definitely like if I'm, first of all, it's just hard to look at a screen and like have the lighting and all that. So I would definitely be like a, so probably like a paperback, something I can tuck in my bag that, um, that moves quickly and doesn't have to be, doesn't have to be like, you know, fun, fluffy, like that type traditional. Yep. It just needs to be able to be read in short bursts. How about okay. you? Okay. Yeah. No, I would completely agree with you with the whole pick, pick up and put down. And for me, the main thing is page turner. Mm, so yeah, same. It does not need to be lighthearted yeah. and 100% frivolous. You know, it doesn't need to be a romantic comedy right. on paper right. for me, because I feel like often beach reads are kind of a romantic, right. Uh, plot right. is at the center. Right. But for me, yeah, it just has to be a page turner and it can have, it can have some meat. Yeah. And it's just got to be able to hold your attention. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So page turner. All right. So, so what's a good beach read that you've read in the past? Okay. Well, wanna I'm going to just recommend one and I thought I would stick with my personality, which is I don't read a ton of fiction. So I don't have a traditional beach read, but I do have a recommendation that is consistent with the books I like to read, but also I think would be a great beach read. So it is called, I have it. And Katie, I'm going to give this copy to you <gasps> because I have two copies for, oh, it's a long story. Thank you. Um, 
It's called Catastrophic Happiness, Finding Joy in Childhood's Messy Years. It's a book of essays by Catherine Newman. Catherine Newman is a a well-known blogger writer that came up, I mean, gosh, when Megan did or even before. Her kids are like college age now, but she was like an original mom blogger who then landed columns in you know, major newspapers, publications. She's the etiquette columnist for Real Simple now. Um, She has published books and, but started, you know, as an essayist mom blogger. And I don't, I don't say that with any kind of like a negative connotation, like, um, but that was many years ago. This book, she had a book of essays about pregnancy and very early motherhood called Waiting for Birdie. I have not read that. Oh, I've heard this one. Yeah. I've heard about that one. So this is her second book of essays, and it's specifically about the years, she, I think she says, or the or the you know book jacket says, four to 14. So like the middle years of parenting. Um, and they are the reason I think it makes a great beach read is they're short essays and they stand alone. So if you think about, you know, a funny blog post or a poignant essay, there are a few pages each. It yeah. goes roughly chronologically, but not completely. And, you know, Katie, you're... Your kids are three and four right now, right? Four and almost, yeah, three and almost three and four and, and a half. Okay. My kids are six, nine, and 11. So, really, like these years from like you're through like the baby, baby stuff. Yeah. Um, but then all, all the rest. Um, but the reason this is such a good beach read is she is an impeccable writer. She's my favorite kind of combination of funny and poignant, funny, okay. like laugh out loud, funny, but not the cheap jokes, like yeah. not the, not the Cliched. cliches that we've heard a million times about tantrums and, you know, sleepless nights. And it, she's just a, just from a craft perspective, a fantastic, fantastic writer. Um, and so I think it makes a great beach read because you can pick, you can read one and you, you can set it down for two months and pick it up again. Yeah. I, I may actually reread this book, um, cause it's been a couple of years, but it's it's fantastic. So again, it's Catastrophic Happiness, Finding Joy in Childhood's Messy Years by Catherine Newman. And we will link that up. And I am physically sliding a copy across the table to Katie right I now. I love it. And the book jacket is so fun. It's so yeah. cute. It's mom rain boots and a little child with their rain boots yes. on standing on top of her. So cute. She just has like a very honest appreciation. It's it's like, yes, motherhood is hard. Yes, motherhood is great. And none of the cliches are there. So she just has like a really, and she's very funny. And I, awesome. I really like funny writers who, yeah. I think I heard about her because about eight to 10 years ago. Yeah, she's been around a long time. When she mm-hmm. released that Probably. first book, mm-hmm. The Waiting yeah. for Birdie. Mm-hmm. And I think she was interviewed on NPR. Probably. And the thing I remember hearing about it was that it unlike some other early motherhood pregnancy mm-hmm. books gives kind of more of an honest yeah. portrayal. Yeah. 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 And I have not read waiting for birdie, but I think it did really, I think it really hit a nerve at that time. Yeah. And um, that was kind of the height of her, the success of her personal blog. And now like many writers of that generation, I don't think she blogs regularly, but she writes, at, you know, essays and articles and yeah, she's regularly in real simple as their etiquette com- columnist. If you're awesome. um, if a, a real, I'm a real simple, simple fan. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'll mention one that I would consider a B-tree just because to me it was very compelling. It was easy to just get through the whole thing. You just kind of want to blow through the novel. And I feel like maybe we've mentioned this title before, okay. but it's a Leanne Moriarty book. Okay. Well, and... I'm a big, big little lies fan. I mean, oh, I, haven't read the, I haven't read the book, but I'm obsessed with the show. Oh, okay. I haven't seen season two and I read the book. Actually, I listened to the book on audio, which 
I feel like Leanne Moriarty's books are better with a physical copy okay. rather than listening I've to them. I've never read one, but. Oh, okay. So this title is What Alice Forgot. Oh, someone recommended that. that. So I posted on the Mom Hours Instagram like a month ago that I asking for books. Yeah, well, specifically asking for fiction because I kind of confess that I've been reading a lot, but I haven't been sticking to my fiction resolution. And um, that one came up. Yeah, I just think it lands really resonantly in this phase of life because it's the main character is a woman in her mid thirties and she's involved And this is kind of funny, but an outlandish, but she's involved in a treadmill accident. Okay. That lands her with a head injury and she wakes up in sort of an amnesiac state Uh and she thinks her life is perfect and happy. But what she doesn't realize is that over the last 10 years, her life has sort of spun into this sad, unhappy state of reaching for all the wrong things and trying to maintain this image of perfection. And she is in a totally unhappy marriage. Her husband can't stand her, but yet she wakes up and she loves him. You know, it's, it's totally like sort of newlywed bliss. And she is just in a complete state of oblivion. And so it's her coming to grips with her actual state of, of life and then where that leads all of their lives. That's awesome. So it's, it's lighthearted in that it's the, the irony of her happiness with the actual state of things is kind of humorous and, and then it's relatable because just the whole grappling with what society thinks a woman in her mid thirties, mm-hmm. who's a mom, who's a, I don't know if she works in the book. I can't remember, but you know, just grappling yeah. with all those things, the, the push and pull yeah. of what your friends think and what society thinks yeah. and what your family thinks and then what you think. Yeah. So it's, it's just really good and, um, has the good balance yeah. of sort of lighthearted, but with some depth. I love it. Okay. Well, I just, you know, like I have said this about fiction a million times. I just need someone to put a book in my hand and say, read this. Cause yeah. I will read almost anything. It's the English major in me. Like if you tell me to read it, it's like, you'll finish your job homework and I will do it. And then I really enjoy it. But I, I just have a, a block against seeking out fiction. I just get overwhelmed in a way yeah. that nonfiction doesn't. I just think, oh, I'm going to read that or I'm not going to read that. But, mm-hmm. um, so that sounds like a really good one. It's a really good one. And that's actually my favorite title of all of Leanne Moriarty's books. Okay, good to know. Books, yeah. Good to know. Um, Well, I do have two that these are not my recommendations, but it is what's up next for me. So I can share those. Yeah. Um, Because finishing the library book, um, the library book called The Library Book, because I did check it out from our local library. um, I told myself, like, after that one, that was kind of the last of these nonfiction that I really did want to get through. And then I have two fiction lined up. And these came from that Instagram post. My husband was really sweet. He saw the one that I posted on the Mom Hours Instagram asking for recommendations. And you guys all chimed in. And again, I just get overwhelmed. I'm like, well, these all sound great. And I don't do anything about it. And so he picked up two fiction titles at Barnes and Noble and brought them home to me. So there you go. Now I have something to read because someone physically was like, here, you're going to read this. That is so sweet. So, and he had read the comments. So he chose Eleanor Oliphant Oliphant is completely fine by Gail Honeyman, which again, I'd heard, I always hear these titles. Um, 
and then Where the Crawdads Sing okay. by Delia Owens, which is like everywhere. Yeah. So um, I started the Eleanor Oliphant is completely fine right before the library book came up on reserve for me. I mean, I got like 10 pages in. So I'm starting that one fresh like today, this weekend, and I will Ooh. let you guys know. So Ooh. just declaring that I'm back on the fiction train. I don't know if those count as beach reads, but at least for me, I'm mixing it up. Yeah. Do you have anything on your list? Well, I have so many books that actually have become available that I've put on hold mm-hmm. through the library. One, and then I, I, I've gotten all of them and, and it's been a major barrage. Yes, that happens and then, to me too. Then I feel overwhelmed and I don't know where to start. And then I start one and I'm like, mm, I'll put that one aside. It's not just, it's not gripping me. But I do have one that I actually haven't even opened yet. And it's called Chernobyl. Oh, voice voices from Chernobyl. So this is in the aftermath of my interest in Chernobyl from the HBO docuseries Uh on Chernobyl. Yeah, that's where I, no, I haven't watched it, but that's where I've been hearing Chernobyl. Yeah. Yeah. So I watched that, loved it. It was almost like a couple years ago when I got obsessed with the Bernie Madoff story because there was a release of a Madoff drama. Okay. It was like a two night series or yeah, something. Yeah, I remember with, that. And then there was a documentary about that too, wasn't exactly, there? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. It was and the the drama though was with Blythe Danner and Richard Dreyfus. Uh-huh, I think I it was Blythe that. Danner. Anyway, I read a bunch of just stuff about yeah. Madoff. I I read the daughter-in-law's story side of the story after it all went down. And anyway, so I kind of feel the same sense yeah. of this rush of interest yeah. well, after, that was, after watching Chernobyl. That was me and bad blood and, bad blood, and, yeah. and um, the Theranos. Yeah. Yes. So I don't know how this particular book will read. So it, the whole, the whole angle of this particular book voices from Chernobyl is I guess a work of kind of investigative journalism. Uh-huh. And I think it's a, I think a compilation of different perspectives from the whole crisis. So anyway, that is definitely not a beach read. I would not call that a beach read, but that's on my list. And then I need help. I just need some crowdsourcing recommendations on, I kind of feel like I I need a new author. Oh yeah. You know how you kind of get on board with an author and you read everything that they Right. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I've done the Jane Greens. Mm-hmm. I've done, of course, Leanne Moriarty and Emily Giffen. And other than those authors. What about Jodi Picoult? Okay. Jodi Picoult. I see. I, I can't get on board completely with her. I feel like she's too long winded for me. I don't have an opinion really. I just know that it's a name yeah. that people. Yeah. She's a little long winded for me. So I often. What about Jennifer Weiner? Weiner. Oh, Jennifer Weiner. Okay. Yeah, she's, she's another tough. one. Yeah. Yep. Um, I was a fan of her and I like her books. I feel like I've kind of been there, done that yeah. with her. I haven't read all of her books, but I really like her as a personality. Like as a, I really like her. Wasn't she interviewed on Justin KJ? Probably. Okay. And I, yes. And she has, I just like her as a celebrity. Okay. Even I haven't read all of her books. But. Okay. Yeah. So I feel like I need a new author in the same vein mm-hmm. as those, but every one of those authors has yeah. her own kind of unique features right. about the books. Right. So I just would love you guys okay. to serve. Okay. Give serve Katie, up, serve up an author. Give Katie some ideas. You can always reach us. Hello at the mom or comment on the show notes for this episode. Um, okay. So we will solve that for you. In the meantime, you've got catastrophic happiness sitting in front of you that I just gave you. And that is a good one for short bites of 
good writing. Yes. Oh, and you know what else became available to me at the library is a book called The Mother-in-Law. Ooh. Dun, dun, dun. dun, dun. Yeah. That sounds really good. I know. Um, Okay, guys. So here's how this works. The show notes for this episode should be right there in your podcast app or at themomhour.com. This is episode 215 if you need to look it up. But then Katie and I always put together a separate blog post. It just is a little cleaner way to get all of these books into one list. That is also at themomhour.com. We'll link it up in the show notes so you have the full book list. Um, And then find us on Instagram at themomhour or email us hello at themomhour.com and keep the books conversation going. Let us know what you are reading this summer. Um, and then finally keep listening to the very end and you will hear the rest of my conversation with Violet that got started earlier in today's episode. There's Aww. more. There's more awesome Violet. <laughs> Can't up wait next. for that. All right. Happy summer, Katie. Happy reading. You too. Bye. Can I stay? <laughs> okay. What else do you want to talk about? Uh, stuff. All right. What advice do you have for six-year-olds if their moms are feeling stressed out? What should a six-year-old do? <laughs> um, maybe try to find a solution to making their mom happy in a good way or just finding their own way to make it a good time. What advice do you have for kids who fight a lot with their brothers and sisters? Um, maybe trying to calm down your heart and your brain. To just say, hi, can we stop doing this so we can calm our brains down? Yeah, and you and Reed just had a moment ago where you did that, right? Uh, yeah. What advice do you have for somebody who has a toddler and they're about to have a new baby? Like your aunt, you know, and your cousin? Oh, maybe just doing something more relaxing and having maybe a babysitter at home or your grandma or someone to watch your kids well. You can just have a great time and relax. And what if the new what if the toddler feels jealous? Well, maybe have someone the toddler really enjoys playing with or having fun with. So then the toddler gets what it might want and you can just sit back and relax. I think that's great advice. Okay, well let's talk about moms who work from home in the summertime. How's that going this year? Um <laughs> fun is it fun to have mommy have to work at home when you're home for the summer um no so do you have any advice for me (laughs) (laughs) stop working (laughs) but I love my work well thanks again for being on the show no we can't leave yet Guess what, Megan? Over 10,000 teens are already using our sponsor, Erica, to help them unplug. That is amazing. Erica, that's Erica with a K, is the social media health app for teens that gives them the tools to unplug whenever they need to for improved health, study focus, sleep, and daily balance. It's so cool how this works to hide distracting apps from your phone at the touch of a button, keeping them out of sight and out of mind without deleting your data. Yeah, you know, teens really get that social media comes with risks, including addiction, and Erica helps them build healthy habits in self-regulation that will benefit them their whole lives. Tell your teens about Erica and save 20% on the Erica family plan with promo code THEMOMHOUR. Go to erica.app and search for plans. That's Erica with a K, E-R-I-K-A dot A-P-P and use code THEMOMHOUR to save 20%. Sarah, I started a Substack last spring just kind of as an experiment, and it turns out I love it. I'm treating it kind of like an old school blog, writing about things that are happening in my life. 
Megan, I've loved following your stuff on Substack, and I actually just really like Substack in general. You know, we've both been a lot less active on Instagram lately, and I'm finding that Substack scratches that itch to connect and create without all the busyness of a typical social media feed. So I would love it if Mom Hour listeners wanted to look me up there. I'm at meganfrancis.substack.com, and that's Megan with two A's, M-E-A-G-A-N francis.substack.com. 